All right, good morning, church. We're going to be uh, reading from Acts, starting in, at the end of chapter uh, 27. And we're going to go into uh, chapter 28 as well. Uh, so Acts, starting at chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, please go to Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 42. And again, if you remember from last week, we were talking about Paul's appeal to Caesar, his journey to Rome, and the ch shipwreck that happened to him and the 275 other people that were with him on that ship as he was traveling to Rome. They had miraculously made it through the storm, but they were about to be shipwrecked. As Paul had told them, and they all knew it. So we're going to pick up again in chapter 27. Verse 42, if you could stand as we read the gospel. All right, starting in uh, chapter 27, verse 42. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and keep them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard over first overboard first and get to land the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship in this way everyone reached land safely then we move into chapter 28 verse 1 once safely on shore we found out that the island was called Malta the islanders showed us unusual kindness they built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw that the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall, fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us gener generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came to see and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sell, they furnished us with supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered into the island, in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of twin gods, Castor and Pollux. So then we're gonna to move to verse 14. And you know, the Bible simply sums up Paul's journey in this way. As so, we came to Rome and then going to 15, the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the form of Apius 
in the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Lord Father, we thank you today, Lord. We thank you for the reading. We thank you for all you're doing, Lord, in our lives. We thank you for allowing us to be here today to celebrate and worship you. Lord, as we uh, enter, enter into the next song, as well as as we uh, listen to uh, a pastor uh, speak today to us, Lord, help us keep you in the center of our mind and our heart and our spirit. Help us, Lord Father, hear the words, Lord Father, and take those words and be encouraged by those words and worship you, Lord. For my hallelujah belongs to you. And I ask you to help us see that and recognize that, Lord, as we finish service today. We love you. Amen. Today, we're putting part two on the end of Caesar's storm wrecks, uh, storms and shipwrecks. And I'm excited about sharing this passage of scripture with you as we look at what God has to share with us. And next week, we will finish it up and be a part of uh, uh, you know, our history as we've gone through all these different uh, people from the scriptures that teach us so much because they're so incredibly relatable. Well, Maybe this is something that you can't necessarily relate to, but Paul was said that he was going to preach and teach kings about the gospel. And you can see that on this passage, uh, uh, the different passages of scripture that are referred to here. Um, and then next slide, that's right. And uh, as you look at it here, the Judas and the, uh, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask uh, for a man uh, from Saul uh, named Saul of Tarsus, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And then Ananias is like, Lord, I don't want to do that. I've heard about this guy named Saul. He's not exactly a nice guy. And the Lord said to Ananias, no, you go, because this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And so he tells Ananias, this is what I have already planned for Paul. Now, interestingly, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures that Paul or Saul knew exactly what was in, you know, on his dance card coming up. But we know that Ananias does know. And also that part that says, and he's going to suffer for my name. Now, Paul was before rulers and kings. And as you look uh, at this next slide, you will see some of those pieces uh, that are kind of in the different parts of Paul's story. Uh, he was there before Felix and Drusilla, governor of the area of Israel where his wife was there. She was Jewish, so she had some extra insight into what Paul was teaching about. Festus, who became the governor uh, of the area of Israel, and then held him there for two years in Caesarea. And then King Agrippa and his wife Bernice, the last king of Judea, and his wife, all of these different people that Paul stands before and declares the gospel to, it's important stuff. I mean, the gospel that we know and we're very familiar with and you can find on the internet and all of these different stories that we're familiar with were brand new. I mean, brand spanking new. These were brand new ideas, concepts. People had never even heard the name Jesus of Nazareth for the most part. And so as he's standing before the most powerful people in the world, 
He is telling them about Jesus and the way that he can transform your life. So let's go to this next slide here. And Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? I shared this with you last week. You might remember it. But Paul answers, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried, by the way. He's a Roman citizen. And I haven't done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. That's bold. He's speaking directly to somebody who is his greater, so to speak, on the political spectrum. But he says, you already know that you're asking me to do something that shouldn't be done. And he basically is telling him, you know that if I go back to Jerusalem, I'm probably going to be killed by the Jews who are waiting in, you know, and lying in wait there for me. So if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar, which is his right as a Roman citizen. But from this point forward, Paul is kind of almost swept up and carried away. Now, I don't know if you guys like the uh, the, the TV show, The First 48 Hours. Have y'all ever seen The First 48 before on A&E? There's like 28, 30, 5, 80 seasons, something like that. And I've watched, I think, almost every single episode somewhere along the line. But if you've ever noticed, it's very interesting. They want to talk to the people who are accused of crimes or witnesses of crimes. But the moment that anybody says one magic word, it all stops. And everybody gets up, they collect their stuff, and they walk off. Y'all know what that, that word is, right? Lawyer. <laughs> I want to talk to my lawyer. And then suddenly the police are like, okay, well, I tell you what, you've asked for a lawyer, you're going to get a lawyer and I'm going to grab my stuff and I'm going to walk off. This is exactly the same kind of thing when Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen and I appeal to who? Caesar. And so they're all like, okay, that's what was going to happen then. We're going to step back and you're going to go and see Caesar and we're going to make it happen because we don't want to get on the wrong side of the Roman judicial system. And so at this point, everything is all about getting Paul to the presence of Rome. Now, what we would do is we'd get him on a plane, we'd put him on a train, something like that. It didn't happen like that in the ancient world. Very difficult to travel and very dangerous to travel. And by the way, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing. <laughs> um, I heard when Peter was reading it, and it jumped out to me that there was somebody who was sick of dysentery. Basically, he had a bad case of stomach flu, and it looked like it was life or death. But the truth of the matter is, is that even into the 1700s and 1800s, people died for the weirdest stuff. You guys know that George Washington basically died of a fever that he couldn't get rid of? Same for Thomas Jefferson. He, he died of a urinary tract infection. And so back in those days, it was really important that you stay healthy and that you stay safe and there were no guarantees like we just simply take for granted these days. And so as all of this is happening, they're trying to get him before Caesar, trying not to violate his Roman rights, and it is a big deal. So this is your something to learn, and we'll go to our next slide here, as you see. The Apostle Paul's appeal to Caesar, which is his right, put him in prison much longer than he might have been, because if you remember last week, we talked about it. They talked amongst themselves, and they're like, he really hasn't done anything wrong. We could probably release him, but since he's appealed to Caesar, since he said those magic words, we're stepping back, and we're making sure that gets done so we don't get in trouble. But don't forget that he is... 
in Rome in prison for two years under house arrest. But even before that, he was held uh, in Caesarea by Felix and Festus for the full two years immediately before that time in Rome. So in other words, Paul is put in prison for two years. They hear his case. He appeals to Caesar. And then he goes to Rome. And it's at least two years before he gets to see Caesar. So he is on the sidelines for at least four years. Now, I don't know if you've recognized this or grasped this or not, but how many of you guys know what I mean by saying a type A personality? Can I see your hand? Y'all know what I'm saying? How many of you know a type A personality? Y'all know at least one? Are any of you going to admit that you are a type A? No, I, I don't even want you to do it, all right? But a type A personality is a get it done person. Like they are just like, hey, whatever it takes to get it done, we're gonna get it done. And sometimes feelings get hurt, but we're gonna get it done. And sometimes it's hard and they'll tell you truths that you don't wanna hear as I tell my wife, how dare you be so truthful with me? Sometimes, I mean, that's what I tell her all the time. I'm like, how dare you be so truthful with me? You're supposed to be kind. <laughs> you know, no, I'm kidding. That's just a little joke between us. But ultimately, type A personalities, they're all about getting it done no matter what. And when that happens, think about Paul. He is all about getting the job done, right? If you know a type A, you want to get them angry, just tell them, say, this is going to take longer than I expected. You tell them that and they're like, man, they're ready to fight. They're like, what are you talking about? How come? And they just they start spitting and sputtering. They can't figure it out. So think about Paul absolutely a type A to the nth degree. And he is told, you're going to have to wait here to get your sentence. And then looks around and the calendar just keeps turning and keeps turning and keeps turning. And now he stayed in Caesarea for two years. He gets on the road and he goes to Rome and he's like, finally, I get here after all the shipwreck and the storm and all that stuff. Let's get this job done so I can get back out there, do my missionary journeys. And instead, he has to wait for a whole nother two-year period. And I promise you, as a type A personality, this is not what Paul wanted. But this is what God had planned. It's what he had for him. And this is really important. For most of us, we are not very good at waiting. But God is always at work while we are waiting. Period. This is part of why I love the Waymaker song so much. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working on my behalf. And so as Paul is here, he is forced to wait for four full years with one little section of a shipwreck and a ship's journey to go. And so this is important. Now, there's good news and bad news in the scriptures, and let's go to our next slide. Here's some good news, and here's some bad news. As Paul is there on the ship, he's speaking to them, and he says, guys, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God graciously has given you the lives of all who sail with you. This is the good news. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it was going to happen just like he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. This is the bad news. We're going to be shipwrecked. 
And I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about it, but we have had problems ourselves. How many of you have ever been in an automobile accident? Have y'all ever been in an automobile accident? Maybe a big one. And if that ever happens to you, you walk away and you're kind of like pumped up, you know, like adrenaline is flowing and you're like, ha, I can't believe that just happened. And then you start to kind of come down a little bit and tears start coming or you start, you know, like taking these big, deep breaths because it is a brush with death. You realize how close it came to being over for you. If that's ever happened, you can probably understand what's going on. Paul's like, we're all going to make it, but it is not going to be easy. And it is probably going to push you to your own moments of endurance for yourself. And can I just tell you guys something? (laughs) I don't remember who it was. I think it was a pretty famous Christian who once said, God's never let me down but he scared me half to death a few times, right? I mean, that's the truth. For you and for me, God is going to bring us through, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth ride and it's not gonna be something that scares us half to death sometimes. So let me talk about the big idea from last week in part A, and let me talk about the big idea from part B today. God's plan is grander than we imagine, but it comes with surprises, detours, and delays. This was last week's big idea, and I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that's exactly what we're seeing in Paul's life. But if this is last week's big idea, here is this week's big idea. It's on our next slide here. God's grander plan makes guarding your attitude one of your highest priorities. God's grander plan makes guarding your attitude one of your highest priorities. Here's why. Because Paul is a perfect example of a man who keeps his attitude exactly as you would hope for it to be. And he does not lose sight of what's going on in his life and what God is doing, even though he literally probably spends a night in the middle of the sea and that fear and that difficulty that he had to face, he brings it through, but he is still a person who has a great attitude. So real quickly on the count of three, can you guys say the big idea with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. God's grander plan makes guarding your attitude one of your highest priorities. All right. So very quickly, Paul in his own words talked about how his chains were advancing the gospel. It's going on this next slide here from Philippians chapter one verses 12 through 18, and we condense that down. So here's what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, if you'll just stay right there for me for just a quick second, Alicia, Look at this passage of scripture. If you don't know, Paul wrote Philippians when he was there in Rome during that two-year waiting period that he was just sitting there. But he says, I want you to know something. This thing that I hated, God's actually been at work in the midst of it. And as I'm sitting here, I'm writing you this letter and telling you that as I've been on the sidelines, there have been people who probably would have let me do all the talking 
who suddenly are stepping forward into this role because they know if God's word's going to get out, it isn't going to be done by Paul over the next couple of years. So they take up the mantle, they go out, they start doing the evangelizing that Paul would have done on his own. And I just want to make sure that you understand this is very important here in Philippians chapter one. It's Paul in his own words, but they weren't all doing it for the right reasons. For some of them, they were trying to get back at Paul and be spiteful to him in some way. And so it's very interesting that Paul has a word for them as well. And I want to share with you as we keep going. Let's go to our next slide here. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Some preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm here in chains. But what does it matter? He says, what does it matter? Like, you're going to get me and ask me to get mad that the gospel keeps going out further and further and further because people are doing it with the wrong intentions? He's like, you expect me to be mad about that? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true motives, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. All right. So let me get personal with you. How many of you, even when something good happens, if you know that it wasn't done for the right reasons, how many of you at times are like, man, I don't even want that to happen because I know that it wasn't done for the right reasons, right? Sometimes we worry too much about the attitudes and about the, the motives and all this stuff. And this is a good way for you and I to get sidetracked and to get off in a ditch somewhere that never allows us to enjoy happiness. Because the truth of the matter is, is that for you and for me, there are going to be a lot of people who have the wrong motives, wrong reasons, and they're going to do sometimes even the right thing for the wrong reason. But if we worry so much about what they are doing and why they're doing it, we're never going to experience joy in our life. We're never going to experience joy. And I could go too deep, and I won't. I don't want to go off too deep. But I'm telling you, for most of us, we need to be just say, look, I got more than I can say grace over. I don't need to go looking for reasons to be angry because they are going to find me already. Can I get an amen, right? You're going to have plenty of reasons to get mad that you can't avoid. Why in the world would you be looking deeper into something that you might actually be able to just keep moving from? I want to just share this with you. And this is beautiful. This is a long section of the passages uh, from this book that I've been sharing with you, this Paul, uh, uh, an apostle of grit and grace. And so hang with me, and I hope that you'll hear what I'm sharing with you. Let's go to our next slide. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll there, says of Paul, regardless of his station in life, he lived above his circumstances. I'm convinced that's what allowed God to use the man so effectively. That's what made his impact heroic. Not once in all the stories we've observed in these few chapters on Paul has he displayed a pitiful victim mentality. Let's keep going to the next slide. Rather, through humble means or through prosperity, going hungry or being filled, Paul remained content. Though his circumstances were often extreme, the man's attitude remained virtually, virtually bulletproof. Now, you may be tempted to chalk all that up to temperament. 
But contentment is not genetic. I'm going to say that again because that is powerful. Contentment is not genetic. Paul simply writes, I have learned to be content. Let's keep moving. Contentment results from an attitude that is learned, having been deliberately cultivated over time. Attitude governs contentment. Now, let me just say something to you. All the kids are gone, and (laughs) all my kids are gone from my house too, okay? But here's what I would say. The one thing that I learned early on from others, and the one thing that I would repeat and encourage you to do is... Most people raise their kids and they punish them and teach them how to act right and punish them for wrong actions. I'm here to tell you that that is going half the way. If you do not teach your kids how to have a good attitude and punish them for the wrong kind of attitude, they will struggle with their attitude for the rest of their life. And guess who else will too? You. Because if you do not teach your child how to have a good attitude, they very rarely will just fall backwards accidentally into it. And so you teach them to have a good attitude and you tell them, we're not going to let your attitude ruin four people's lives. In my case, all right, we had five of us, my three daughters, Shelly and myself. One of them would be upset about something. We say, look, hey, we're with you. We understand you got in trouble, you have a situation that's going wrong, but I'm going to tell you something, not all of us are going to sit here and let it ruin everybody's night because you're upset about the smallest little thing. And so I share with you, as a, as a parent, I encourage you and I challenge you, let this be something that you hear. Because your children, their attitude, it is important that you touch base with them and make sure that they have it because attitude governs contentment. And if you can't teach them that good attitude, then they may struggle with it all of their life, even if they have a great life. By the time Paul reaches Rome, he's battered, he's bruised from his missionary journeys, including more recently, the shipwreck experience, and his resolve had grown impregnable. And then to this fourth and final thing, through the power of Christ, Paul had learned to encounter a broad spectrum of stressful situations without letting circumstances impact him negatively. He had learned how to sustain an excellent attitude. He rose above his circumstances. He had learned to live beyond them. The man simply would not crumble. I don't know what you would say to compliment me, but that last, that last sentence, that's about as good as it gets in my book. If you could ever compliment me, you'd say, Randy, I don't know what you're going to face, but I'll tell you what, you will not crumble. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, like that's, that's what I want to be. Because just like you and just like me, sometimes our attitudes are not that great, even in the midst of things that we know God's at work in. And so I implore you, I encourage you, don't let it be something that it, it's, a, it's a negative for you. Real quickly, Swindoll shares these things, and I'm going to hit them quick as we go on. Three things, uh, three attitudes of learned commitment, and he talks about those. So number one is an attitude of unselfish humility. (laughs) I love this story because as we watch it, did you hear? Paul makes it to the shore, and he's starting to help gather wood and sticks so they can have a fire. 
Y'all hear that part that Peter read? And then in the midst of it, he, he grabs a stick of wood. Okay, this is the, my holy imagination coming on, all right? But he grabs a stick of wood, and in the process of it, a snake grabs a hold of him. Now, now that's when you would have heard me scream like a third-grade girl. I'm telling you, like me and snakes, no, mm-mm, not, a, not a match. Uh, but yes, so it latches onto his hand. And so as he's there, he just looks at it, and in my mind, Paul just kind of like, oh, you know, just shakes it off. And when that happens, it's just incredible. Let's go to our next slide. I think I've got it written down here uh, in our next slide. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness, built a fire. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on its hand. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. Now, that's incredible. But I want to just mention something to you. In the process of all that that's going on, why is Paul, like Paul's a prisoner. If it were me, I'd be like, man, <laughs> I just, I'm an old guy. I've seen it all. I've done it all. And probably y'all exist here today on this island because God wanted to save me and included you. I mean, so I'm going to sit back and we'll put my feet up and I'm just going to enjoy, you know, you guys making a fire while I watch, right? I mean, that makes sense. But that's not Paul. In the midst of all of it, probably one of the oldest people on that journey says, you know what, let me be a help in the middle of what I'm doing and what I'm dealing with. It's powerful. And this is great. I I, I wanted to share with you, uh, let's go to our next slide real quick. This is Jesus in this passage. Jesus is found in Paul's Christ-like attitude. Rather than finding reasons to not serve or to wait for others to serve him, Paul serves others any way he possibly can. His Christ-like attitude is where Jesus shows up in this passage. And by the way, it can be that way for you and I if we will show that Christ-like attitude. Let's keep moving here as we go on. And I love this too. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said, this man must be a murderer because he escaped from the sea, but the goddess justice wouldn't allow him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire. He suffered no ill effects. And then the people expected him to swell up, suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a what? He's a God. So he went from being an absolute axe murderer to being a God in the flesh. And it all happened because he just stayed steady and just rose above the circumstances. Can I tell you something? If you want to have an outsized impact, rise above your circumstances and watch how people go, how do you do that? And then you can point them to the Lord and say, it's because of his strength and his power. It doesn't have anything to do with me. That viper on Paul's hand, I don't think Paul was immune to vipers. I think God said, no, 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 you're going to make it. You're going to make it to Rome. You've got a a mission of your own. And so... He is invincible in the midst of God's plan as he's waiting to do and accomplish God's will in his life. And by the way, whatever people say is whatever people are going to say. And they will come and go. And there are haters that are going to hate you. And then they're going to turn around and love you. And they'll come and go. And if you pay too close attention to that, it is going to do you in. But again, I say about Paul what 
Swindoll said, Paul would not crumble no matter what people were saying about him. Didn't matter. He was just going to do what was right and do what God had for him. All right, so real quickly, this second part of the attitude, I'll just share with you an attitude of joyful acceptance. Paul had a difficult road, but he was going to accept it rather than complain about it. Let's keep moving to the next slide. I love what Denzel Washington said. He said, beware of destination addiction. The idea that happiness is in the next place, the next job, or even with the next partner. Until you give up the idea that happiness is somewhere else, happiness will never be where you are. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? If it's always out there, and the only reason that it's not where you are is because it's always out there, then you will never actually find it. But the truth of the matter is, is that where God is, And in the center of God's plan, that's where happiness is found. Not happiness of circumstances being perfect, but happiness in the peace of knowing that God is with you and God is at work. Let's keep moving here. Now, I wish you could see more of this and there's a little bit, that's a little washed out and that's kind of my bad. But I want you to notice something here. This is Paul's timeline. It's from understanding, or understandchristianity.org, I believe it is. It's a great biblical website. And some of you on uh, the, the, the Bible study crew, y'all have seen this. I've been sharing this with you. But let me share this with you. His first imprisonment in Rome happened probably around 61 to 63 AD. And he wrote some books. He thought they were letters. They turned out to be biblical books. The book of Ephesians the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, and the book of Philippians, and all of those things done while he was in a waiting room that God put him in that he did not want to be in in the first place. It's a powerful reminder of what Paul did. Can I just make sure you don't miss it? The whole point here is is that Paul could have gone, well, I guess another two years is coming. And sat there and twiddled his thumbs. Or he could get busy and like take his eyes off of his own circumstances and put them on somebody else and begin to work to serve and be a blessing to them. I talk about this a lot and I share this with you and I want to make sure that you hear it because of what it is supposed to mean. Every day that I send you something on Sunday mornings and it says come to be blessed and come to what? Be a blessing. If today you aren't getting blessed, then that is your reminder and God's kick in your tail that you better be looking to be a blessing because that's your job today. You see what I'm saying? If you're not getting a blessing, you can, you can blame it on me if you want to. And I don't, maybe you're right. I don't know. <laughs> but here's what I would say. Ultimately, we come to be blessed through the word of God, through singing, through worship and all that stuff through giving, all of those things, but we also come to be a blessing. That is what the family is about. Today, I'm going to make it about John again real quick. Today is John's day to be blessed, and today is part of our day to be a blessing to John. If you don't get that, stay after and let me explain it to you. You know what I'm saying? Because he's going through something that you and I don't want to go through. Well, then we should be the support that help him make it to the other side. You see? Amen. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. So let's talk about this as we kind of go through this. I I, want to just mention something. 
I don't know exactly how I feel about this, but probably, probably it was because things were different in Paul's first imprisonment, probably didn't have the same access, probably didn't have a scribe to help him, probably didn't have a desk and quill and pen and all that stuff. But I find it interesting that for two years, nothing was probably written by Paul. And then another two years came and all of the things that we see are written are written by Paul. Same length of time, dramatically different production and power and results. You guys understand where I'm coming from here? I'm going to tell you something. You and I are given the same exact amount of time to live with as people who are doing incredible things in the kingdom of God. They have just chosen to order and prioritize their life where God receives first place rather than leftovers. And in the process of that, I'm here to tell you, it's not about the time, it is about what we prioritize in those times. Paul prioritized being a blessing and it made a huge impact. All right, I'm running so close on time, so let me just, I'm gonna move it, move it, move it. Here we go. Um, Paul's ending and the ending of Acts as we go on there, For two years, Paul stays there in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him, proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without any hindrance. Let's go to our next slide. And this is something that I don't want you to miss. When Paul declared that all the palace guard had heard from him about the gospel, that was no small number. According to Swindoll, Bible scholars believe that probably means as many as 9,000 people in that two-year period, heard about the gospel from Paul. Now, I don't know about you, but 9,000 seems like a lot of people, right? Well, Paul was there where he did not want to be, but God gave him an audience that he did not know he would have. But he was ready, his attitude was in check, and he lived above the circumstances of not caring that he was in a, a place where he was in the chains. He said, hey, what do I care I'm just going to preach. That's what I'm called to do anyway. And whether I'm preaching with a chain around my leg or not, it doesn't matter. Whether I can leave or not, it doesn't matter. I'm called to preach. That's what Paul said. Now, what are you called to do? And what is the reason for you not just saying, you know what? I'm worried about all this silliness of why I can't and why I shouldn't and why I wish it were better. But what are you called to do that you're not doing because you found a reason to say, I'm not going to do it because of? You see what I'm saying? Ultimately, Paul just said, you know what? Forget all the other extra things. Forget all this thing that I wish I had. I'm just going to do what God called me to do, period. And I'm going to let him sort out the rest. For most of us, we never get to that point, And that's why we're never seeing things the way Paul seed them, saw them in his own life. All right, let's, let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving here. The third thing is very quickly an, act, an attitude of strong determination. And I want to just say that. I've already talked a little bit about it, but let me just share this with you. Hopefully this will stick with you. How many of you guys know who this guy is on this next slide? Y'all know who this is? If you know, kind of raise your hand, any of y'all? If you don't know, I bet you know with this next slide. Do y'all know who he is now? It's Leonardo da Vinci, yeah? Now, 
I'm going to pretend real quick that I know anything at all about art. So y'all just, you know, pretend to be impressed. Okay. Here's the deal. Here's what I know. The truth of the matter is, is that for most people, they can do a lot of things having to do with the human form in art, but you can definitely see a huge difference in the level of mastery by looking at a subject's hands. Have you all ever noticed that if you see a really cool picture or whatever, you might see it and as you look closer, you're like, I've never seen a hand like that. It's a little gnarly or it's like their hands are twice as large or something of that nature. The real true master, people like da Vinci, have figured out how to make a human hand in a painting look like an actual human hand in real life. But I'm going to just share with you real quickly. This is, I I, I blew that up so you could kind of get a sense of it. There's a sketch that they figured out was da Vinci's, and it's actually there in Europe. And that's the smaller version. That's the enlarged version. That's a really good-looking hand on that picture, isn't it? Now, let me ask you this. You know how many times da Vinci drew hands? He was considered a master, but he drew at least 1,000 hands to get it down and to get it right because he didn't want to be the person who didn't have every single part of his craft down. In other words, just like Paul, he figured out what he was supposed to do and he kept driving and nothing was going to stand in his way. For most of us, we get by on half measures. We do it a little bit and then Hope that it's good enough when the truth of the matter is, is that for all of us, we can learn that attitude of living above your circumstances because you know, I've already mastered that because I've poured everything into it that I knew I needed to pour in. All right. Now, I'm going to ask Elias to come up and we're going to bring this to a close very quickly. Here's this big question that I want to ask you and then apply it. How is your attitude? Now, what are your intentions, but what are your actions speaking to others? In other words, for most of us, we judge ourselves on our intentions, but not on our actions. But we are always judged from the outside by our actions and not our intentions. Our tone of voice, our body language, our level of focus, our engagement level, these are the things that tell people, I'm out, I'm distancing myself, I'm not involved, I'm not engaged. Go back and read Acts 27, Acts 28. When they didn't do what Paul warned them, he said, don't do it, don't don't set sail. They did it anyway. He stayed in, he stayed engaged, he didn't give up. He didn't walk away, he didn't say, hey, well, y'all figure it out because I've already told you what I said. For most of us, we have a way of washing our hands and stepping back. Paul, in the midst of everything that he faced, that he begged them not to make him or them face, when he was shipwrecked on the island, he rolled up his sleeves and says, let's get a fire started. When he was put in a jail for two years, he said, let's write a letter to make sure that they know how I feel about them. You see the difference? It's engagement. It's tone of voice. I rejoice and I'm going to continue to rejoice, not because I'm in a place that I want to be in, but because ultimately God is getting the glory. That's what I care about.
That's what Paul is saying. And for you and for me, it's very easy to wash our hands, to step back, to have a distance and an attitude instead of pulling in and saying, you know what? Whatever the circumstances are, I'm going to live above them and I'm going to give my absolute best every single time. For most of us, it is good to hear that this is what Paul did and to be reminded that this is what we can do to give our very best at all times. Now, I want to give a shout out to Brendan. He, he gave me something that I wanted to share with you, and I'm going to read it. If you guys will just follow along, uh, I'm going to read this first picture here. Today was the absolute worst day ever. And don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day because when you take a closer look, this world is a pretty evil place. Even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that it's all in my mind and heart because true happiness can be obtained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure you can agree that the reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was a good day. That could have been Paul. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the next slide and we're going to read it from the bottom to the top. We're going to flip things the way that God flips things. We're going to say the first is last and the last is first. And the next one, reading from the bottom, today was a good day. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that it's all beyond my control. My attitude creates the reality. And I'm sure you can agree that it's not true that good exists only if one's surroundings are good. True happiness can be obtained because it's all in the mind and heart. And it's not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through once in a while, even if the world is a pretty evil place. Because when you take a closer look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. You see, it's all in perspective, isn't it? It's all about how we choose to let our life affect us or how we turn around and affect our life and our world. So I encourage you, Caesars, storms, shipwrecks, it does not matter. It is about the God who has his hands upon you and the plan for your life. Give it all to him and live above those circumstances rather than letting those circumstances define and undo you. Heavenly Father, as we end our time together, what a blessing it is to see Paul. He's, he's a guy that we understand was like us. And yet at the same time, he is a man who was giving himself constantly to your plan for his life. Not because it was easy, but because it was right. Not because it was something that made him comfortable, but because it was powerfully impacting people's lives. God, that's what we want to live for because ultimately it's not about the feelings of the moment. It is about living by faith. And the just shall live by faith. Lord, that's what we want. I pray that you would help us, that you would pour into us a new attitude and a new view and vision where we would see what you have said, 
that the way to be first is to be last and the last to be first and the greatest among us to be the servant of all. And we see it in Paul. Lord, help us to see it in ourselves more than we ever have. Cultivate within us, Lord, the opportunities that you give us. May we take advantage of every single one. Give us that outlook that we need to have. God, may we be about you and your business with our whole entire life. And in the process of it all, Lord, make us a blessing to someone.